Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I know we have a lot of people in our church who are fans of the TV series, The Chosen. And I can remember when Tanya Shepard, a woman from my former church, had asked me to watch it. And I just kept putting it off. And there were a few reasons that I put it off. One is at that time, you just have to, had to watch it on um, the tiny, on your phone. Like that was the only way that you could watch the first season. But also, I'm just going to be very transparent with this. A lot of the Christian stuff that I watch is incredibly corny. I'm just going to be honest. So I was just like, I don't know if I want to invest the time in an entire series for this. It's just, you know, kind of a lot of times B-list stuff. When I turn this on, like within the first episode, I was hooked because she wasn't going to leave me alone. She was just like, please make sure that you check this out. So this is 2000. This is 2000. So some of you that are familiar with The Chosen, whenever you saw it, this is my favorite scene. And it's actually been turned into T-shirts and things like that. This is a scene where Mary Magdalene is asked by Nicodemus what has happened to her life. He saw her one way at the beginning, and then all of a sudden she's been transformed. She's changed. She's so full of joy. She's smiling. She's left the old life and all that kind of stuff. So, so she responds in this way. She says, I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So I was one way and now I'm completely different, completely different. And what happened in between was him. Some of you that are in this room right now, you know that experience. And I know that experience and what that feels like. And it's my desire that we can all know that experience. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite writers, he's a Catholic scholar, he said this, I'm increasingly convinced that conversion is the individual equivalent of revolution. When people are converted, something happens within them. They have a new set of eyes. They see the world in a completely different way. Something that would have made them angry may still make them angry, but the second they burst out in that anger, or the second they start to gossip or use certain kinds of language, something inside of their soul says, this isn't right. It's really hard when you're in a situation in which you're used to maybe having a spirit of unforgiveness toward other people and you recognize that things are not going to be right within you until you make things right with that other person. It completely changes the way that we see everything about the world. So today I want to talk about this, what Nowen called this inner revolution and how it plays itself out through a man named Saul of Tarsus. Now this is part 17 of Unstoppable Church and we are just now getting to my favorite character and what is really the heart of the scattering movement. So this whole time that we've been talking about, we're only going to talk about this for two more weeks 
And then we're going to go on to some other stuff and pick up next year. So I wish that we could talk a little bit more about Saul, who is going to become Paul. But you're going to get just a little taste of Saul this year. So we are in week 17 of Unstoppable Church. Acts chapter 9, if you would turn there, Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8, just a little bit of scripture today. If you don't have your Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Otherwise, if you want to follow on your phone, if you have an app, if you're not familiar with anything that I'm talking about, you can follow on the screen right up here. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And this is probably in my top three, at least top five stories in the book of Acts. So th this is what the passage tells us. Uh, you, to give you just a little bit of background, Saul is a persecutor of the church and was actually responsible. Think about this and this kind of conversion and this kind of change. He was actually responsible for holding a coat while Stephen was stoned. This was a very bitter very evil, and also very intelligent man, steeped in the Greek tradition. So this is what the passage says. Meanwhile, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He hates Christians. He hates Christians. He went to the high priest seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus. If he found persons who belonged to the way, that was what Christianity was called. In fact, the, the phrase Christian was a derogatory term. Those Christians is kind of how it was said. They were often referred to as people of the way. So for people who belonged to the way, whether men or women, these letters would authorize him to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. During the journey, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a lie from heaven encircled him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him or asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? Saul asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are harassing, came the reply. Now get up and enter the city you will be told what you must do. So this person that he is, he is trying to stop this movement against is now telling him what to do. Those traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice, but they saw no one. After they picked Saul up from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. So they led him by hand in to Damascus. When looking at the life of a kid from a wealthy family of merchants, one might wonder why or how Francis of Assisi made a vow of poverty and spent his life looking after lepers and also the poorest of the poor. One might wonder why Justin Martyr, a brilliant Greek student, incredibly intelligent, would develop deep longings he couldn't explain that were only satisfied by surrendering to the cross of Christ. One might wonder why a man like John Wesley, steeped in religious tradition, would one day find himself in a situation at Aldersgate in which his heart was strangely warmed. Simply put, these men were one way and became completely 
different. And the thing that happened in between was him. Now let's consider Saul, eventually Paul. You know, weird things can happen in someone's life. A lot of weird things have happened in my life. A lot of weird things have probably happened in your life. But how does a person go from persecuting the church to being persecuted leader of the church? Destroyer of the mission to passionate advocate of the mission. This is only possible, and it will only ever be possible through the experience of conversion. Now, what conversion actually means is to change or to transform from one way to another. The Greek word is metamorphi, such as when Saul, who will eventually become Paul, says, don't be conformed to the world. Christians aren't supposed to be like the world, but instead be transformed, conversion, through the renewing of your mind. This word metamorphi, that biology people, help me out, sounds like what? Metamorphosis. So you take into consideration the caterpillar that has one form and goes through this experience of metamorphosis and eventually is a butterfly, and you're not going to recognize anything at all between the two. That's how different and magnificent this change actually is. So today I want to use this story of Paul, and I'll use Paul and Saul interchangeably. I want to use this story of Paul to detail the experience of conversion and to do it with this conviction and for this reason. And I want you to hear me whenever I say this. I believe that a lot, if not the majority, of the American church is unconverted. Billy Graham said one time many years ago that he believed, and I have no idea how he measured this or how you could measure something like this, but he believed that it could be as much as 85%, meaning only like a person and a half that's in this room right now out of 10 has maybe experienced what we're talking about with conversion. I don't know that it's that many. I have no idea. But I do know that I believe that a lot of people in this room may be in this situation. Some have walked through ritualistic emotions, and we're pretty familiar with those. A lot of us, even after you know, we've, we've accepted Christ, some people have tagged along later in life. They didn't go to church maybe whenever they were young, and they found a sense of community, and they found some good people, and they're like, this makes me feel really, really good inside, and I'm really connecting with community. So I think this is really something that's wonderful to be a part of. And some people are just confused. And that's okay, because we all go through that as well. But most people, I believe, are deeply, deeply hurting people. The way that I heard this ex uh, explained to me by someone uh, who just accepted Christ here pretty recently that goes to this church, 
He said, I had it all. I have, I have a great family. I have a great job. I have great kids. We go on vacations. We do all these wonderful things. But something was missing. There's just something that wasn't there. So this is not the addiction story or the, the my family left me story or the abandonment story or anything like that. Life can be good for so many people. But it's just that something is missing. And what a lot of us try to do is we take just like a little bit of Sunday window dressing. Or we say, if I can just go to church every once in a while, if I can just do my best to try to be a good moral person, everything's going to be okay. Hopefully I've won God's favor. Hopefully I have enough tally marks to get to heaven. Hopefully I have whatever it might look like. So what I want to do with the time that we have left is detail through the story of Paul this idea, this necessary idea of conversion. And I am doing this within right now with so much love for every single person in this room right now. Because I know from personal experience as a teenager what it feels like to be kind of in the club, uh, but kind of still outside of the club, so to speak, at the same time. So what happens in conversion? What does it actually look like? And maybe for some of you, this is kind of a litmus test. All right? Because this is something that people ask me about all the time. And I know that there are some of you that struggle with this, because I have struggled with it greatly in my life. But a lot of you are saying, am I really saved? Like, I, I, I'm just not, no. I kind of go back and forth with that. It kind of feels like an emotional roller coaster. I don't know exactly what it means. I don't know if I'm necessarily doing the right things. It's something that people really legitimately struggle with. Excuse me, and they have really, really good questions whenever they're asking these things. So what does it look like? The first is this. There is an awareness of a past. All right, there is some kind of an awareness of a past. The only exception to this is if you accepted Christ at a very young age. All right, and so you have no knowledge of your past. Well, well, I got saved at five, but let me tell you, the rock star I was at four. All right, no, you know, nobody's in that place. All right, or you have situations sometimes in, in different traditions where if people were born into baptism, if that was the denomination that you grew, you grew up in, people then go through confirmation as they get a little bit older to make sure they understand salvation. So that would be an exception as well. But if you became a Christian as an adolescent or as an older teenager, 20s, 30s, you know, or beyond, you have some kind of an awareness of a past. All right, that has to be there. And this is what, this is some knowledge of your life before Christ. And this is the way it talks about Paul's past, verses 1 and 2. Saul was spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He absolutely hates Christians. It is his life's mission to destroy Christians. So Saul was spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus. If he found a person who belonged to the way or who was an early follower of Jesus, whether men or women, these letters would authorize him to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He was doing everything he could to squash out the existence of this movement that continued to grow. So this is a picture of his past. In other words, Saul had an awareness of who he used to be. Saul, as we get into this story and he becomes 
Paul is going to be able to very visibly view a before and after. In your life as a follower of Jesus, you should be able to visibly view a before and an after. There should be a point in which you thought one way, you looked at men or women one way, you felt really strongly about certain viewpoints this way, and then whenever this transformation occurs and you start to walk in it, your viewpoints and your outlook on things begin to change, and I don't mean like change just a little bit. I mean, I'm not saying you don't still like chocolate or you don't still don't like coffee or you still don't like certain things. But what I'm saying is the, eth- the ethics within you, your viewpoints on hurting other people, on, on getting even, all these things, they are transformed within you because the Holy Spirit is then within you. So Saul has this awareness of who he used to be, and this is central to his story. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be like a murderer or an addict or a a cheater or a liar or a felon or anything like that at some point in your life. Because this is something that I hear people say sometimes. Like, I wish I had a cool testimony. I wish I'd ran somebody over. Or I wish I could drink a fifth of liquor every day. Or I wish, you know, all these kinds of things. Be glad if that's not you. All right, it doesn't make some people worse than others. We're simply talking about a state of mind that is transformed through your heart. It has to be there. Like that part has to be there. That, that's not, I, I check off most things, but you know what? I still feel really strong. I still hate this group of people. I still have this issue with these things. Well, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm not going to do that. Like that just doesn't exist in the presence of conversion. All right? And listen, Beth could tell you this right now, and we could say this about one another. We've had to walk through very difficult moments in our lives where we've saw certain things change because God is continuing to transform us on a regular basis. And it's a really, really hard thing. So you should be able to identify a time you felt that you didn't need God. Okay, God is optional. I can pray at night. I can occasionally, if something's going on, You know, we'll send our text thread, we'll get on Facebook, we'll pray for people. But a time that you really didn't need God, and a time that you just couldn't live without Him. Like you're just, you're so broken by who you are. I had a really, really bad week, if you just want to know the truth. A really hard week. And more so than in the past six months, my sin and my shortcomings in so many different ways were so before me that the only thing that I can think about doing is like, and it's not, I'm going to be prideful, I'm going to get mad at something, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. It's like, God, help me. This is not what you've made me. I am acting out in a different way that is more natural to me. And there is this awareness. And do you know that people don't live with that awareness? They don't do anything about changing it. And some of you, as you nod your head, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is an awareness of that. There is a before, and then there is an after. And this is certainly the case with this guy, Saul. For Saul, the Jesus movement goes from being a false distortion of Judaism, you know, we got to crush these people out, to like the center of his world. How does that happen? 
Like maybe you have a better midlife crisis. You know, tragedy or, or, or event of trauma that led to this. It's Jesus. He was completely changed from the inside out. But here's the second part that's always going to be part of a conversion experience. There is the voice of God that you hear that cannot be denied. It cannot be denied. Now, I've had some emotional experiences in church. Right, I've had certain topics talked about that have scared the crap out of me. And I've been like, okay, I don't know if this is God. I don't know if I need to do this. Do I need to get saved 15 times? Like, there, there's all those kinds of things. And I hate to say it, but there are some people within Christianity that prey on that. It's just a fact. And some of you that have experienced some level of, of trauma within church growing up, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right? But there's also that moment that God actually deals with a person. And I've heard people explain this in a, in a variety of ways. I've heard people say that it's like this subtle voice saying, today is your day. Today is the time. It's time to take the opportunity to follow Jesus. Now is the time for you to do this. I've heard other people say that they are absolutely sweating bullets, that it's felt like their heart is beating out of their chest. That they feel like a wild dog is like on them. Like they are literally, they can feel the weight and the gravity of that. Whenever God actually starts to speak to them. Conviction and faith in that moment, somehow, and I don't understand this, they like overcome the five senses. It's like you're kind of trying to tell yourself this isn't rational. And, and, and I just need to get out of this church as quickly as I can so I can feel normal again. You ever been in that situation where like the conviction's been upon you and maybe it was before you were a follower of Jesus and you're like, I got to get out of here right now. And then I think after maybe 30 minutes, I can calm down, tell, me how stupid, tell, tell myself how stupid they are in that building and I'll be okay. It's kind of how that works sometimes for us. And, and it definitely before conversion, that's how it worked. And all through my 20s when I tried to fight, it's how it worked. But there's this voice of God that you cannot deny. It's time. You've abandoned me. You've played these games. You've tried these other things. You've tried your way for too long. And it's now time. And this is the way that it works for, for Saul. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? Well, I'm the one you're harassing. That kind of makes sense. That's a good answer. I'm actually the one that you're harassing. I'm actually the one that is building this amazing movement in Jerusalem that's starting to spread that you're trying to stop. That's who I am. You're convinced I'm not real. You're convinced this is make-believe. You're doing everything that you can to try to push me out. Today's the last day that that's going to happen. God speaks, and he tells you, it's time. Stop running. Stop making excuses. Stop, stop trying to rationalize everything. It's time. It's going to feel so much easier and so much better when you learn to let go and trust me, your life is going to change. And guess what? It's going to change for the better. Are all your questions going to be answered overnight? I've been a Christian for half my life and still have a zillion questions. Are you still going to struggle? 
Spoiler alert, you're probably going to struggle more. But your life takes on this completely new meaning. And it's through the presence and the power of God. I've been asked if I feel like salvation, I've been asked this a lot over the years, is an event or a process. I think that depends on what Christian tradition your background is in, but I think it's both. I mean, I can certainly point to a time in my life where I know that I accepted Jesus. I know that I did that. But I certainly understand what Paul is talking about when he says later in a letter that we are working out the process of our salvation. And I say this because it's not my desire, any of this stuff, to mix your emotions. You know, we talk about hell sometimes. But if you notice, I've not even mentioned hell. I'm not trying to scare you to death. I'm not trying to give you a fearful response to something. I'm trying to tell you that God loves you. I'm trying to tell you that I accepted Jesus at 16 and did not understand the love of Christ until I was 31 years old. He loves you. And the brokenness and the bitterness and the anger and the fear and the what's next and the I don't understand what's going on and the why has this happened to me and some of you so, so steep, you know more Bible than I do. You know more Bible than the people that have been seasoned in this church for a long time. You know the whole church experience. You know the order when you go in of how everything is going to work. Yet you've never had that experience in which you can say, I was one way and now I'm completely different. And what happened in between was him. And this is what transforms us. And this is what changes us. But lastly, and this is the most difficult, this is really, really hard. This is the one that we try to skip. There's this call toward repentance. There's this call toward repentance. And, and the reason I believe that a lot of people in the church are unconverted is because repentance is really, really hard. It is very difficult. We talk about repentance a lot, obviously. But it's like your life is moving in this direction and you're living this way. And you're in the driver's seat and you're in control of everything that's going on. And whenever you repent, which just means to change your direction, and you're going this way, there's a lot of surprises. There's a lot of change. There's a lot of new things. But I wish I could convince you beforehand, because this is what a lot of people say. Just give me a little bit of evidence. Give me a little bit of evidence and I'll have faith. And I really wish sometimes that it worked that way. But instead... It's have faith. Cast it all out there. Trust in him with everything that you are. Come as a broken person with nowhere else to go. And then the evidence starts to rain down. Starts to pour out. And when you're talking to this skeptic and they're like, I'm not sure about this and I'm not sure about that. And I'm not sure it works that way. You can identify with where you were in your thoughts and where you are now. Repentance means that we are changing direction. It means that we are willing to walk away. Think about how hard this is. We are willing to walk away from a former life. Repentance means that we are open to discipleship or other people pouring in our lives. And we're not going to pick on them for everything that they disagree with us about. It means that we are open to to accountability 
And if we struggle with things in our lives, we're letting other people that are just a little bit further in this journey than us help us out and correct us whenever we're wrong. We all have to go through that. But most important, people confuse repentance with cognitive dissent. You see, I make decisions every day. But the decision to follow Jesus, when we're talking about faith, the definition or the, the, the real meaning of this word pistis is action. It means it's something that actively moves you from where you are to where you're going. And we miss this all the time. So cognitive dissent. Beth and I can make the decision that we're going to go see a movie after church. And I could decide I want to have popcorn or I want to have candy. But you want to know something? When I leave that movie, that's not changed my life at all. It was simply a decision that I made in the moment. So when you talk to a lot of people, do I believe in God? Well, of course I believe in God. Yeah, I I think there's a God. You know, I think that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I think that I'm going to avoid, you know, the other stuff. I think that's how that works out. And with a lot of people, this cognitive dissent opposed to this active life that moves you somewhere else, for a lot of people that hasn't happened, that hasn't been their experience. Now, if I were to read further into this passage, which we'll do next week and the week after that, we would see that Saul is given further instructions. And he doesn't just think about it. He does it. He's listening to the voice of God at this place in his life. He doesn't go on persecuting the church. He doesn't go on persecuting Christians. Instead, he's moving deeper and deeper and deeper over time. And we're going to consider him one of our greatest Christian Christian missionaries of all time. This individual that was seeking to persecute the church and bring these men and women back to Jerusalem, likely for death. Now, this idea of conversion brings up a lot of questions. Excuse me. So as we close today, there are a few of these questions uh, that I would like to answer for you. Some of you may be saying, and you could be saying this again if you've been in church your entire life. What is it that a person does to be saved? What is it that I actually need to do to be saved? So I feel something going on within me right now. I feel like maybe today I need to make a decision. I feel like as far as salvation is concerned, I've always had something kind of nagging. I've always questioned, so if I had these questions, have I accepted Christ? Have I not accepted Christ? You know, really, maybe in my life, I might have raised my hand one time, but there's not really been like a before and after, like a past experience. I don't know if God was really speaking to me or if I was kind of going through something emotionally at the time with repentance. Well, my life kind of feels like it's really not changed that much. The things that I, that I do, the, the relationships that I have, all those kinds of things, they pretty much feel the same. So assuming you're in that place today, what do you have to do to be saved? It's this simple. Trust that Jesus paid for your sins and you commit your life to following him. That's what you do. Now, I know that sounds really hard, so I'm going to talk about it in, in just a second in a little bit more detail. But Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 say this, and this is what you need to understand about being saved. Because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you say that, Jesus is Lord. And in your heart, you have faith. And what I mean by that is an active desire to change your direction. That God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. Trusting with the heart leads to righteousness. And confessing with the mouth leads to salvation. Now, this is a big question for those of you that are really hard on yourself. Because this is me. And this was especially me whenever I was a teenager. Um, I, I felt like, you know, if I, if I was doing good, I was saved. If I messed up, I wasn't saved. Could God ever forgive me for these things? I'm an awful person. I've always, still to this day, some of that is kind of floating around in my brain, kind of that whole guilt dynamic. And I've tried to work on that. And I guess I'm still just a work in progress, but it's something that I struggle with. But can I be saved and still sin? So that's something that really people really struggle with because they feel like they're not moving at a certain pace or they, they, they don't have it all figured out on day one or, or they don't know exactly what direction to go or they recognize that they've just made a mistake and they know inside that it was a mistake, but it's really, really hard to overcome. Can I be saved and still sin? Two words, of course. And you are going to continue to struggle. And you are going to continue to sin. And sometimes when you believe, when you're arrogant enough, been there, to believe you're in a really, really good place, you've put yourself in the worst place for one of your most tragic falls. It's just a fact. You're going to mess up. Your arrogance, your bitterness, your anger, your worry, some of your habits, some of the relationships that are just clearly toxic for you, they're still going to be there sometimes, or they're going to creep back in. And you're going to feel for a long time, you're doing pretty good. And some of these things are going to creep back in, so you are still going to struggle. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Sin is going to be something that you battle and you struggle. The difference is in the past... There were no consequences whatsoever. Okay, this is just a thing. And now you are deeply disturbed. So quickly, whenever I was 16 years old, I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And when I did that, I'm just going to be very honest. A lot of my motivation in that moment was, I don't want to go to hell. That's how I felt. I felt like I kind of had... The whole thing kind of just feared into me, okay? Again, when I'm 31, 32 years old, I'm fighting some inner battles that you guys know about. If, if you've not been here, I, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've been sober 10 years in February. But the difference when I prayed then was that I was just so disgusted with my sin and the darkness that was within me. I, some of y'all need to deal with some childhood stuff. Like you need to deal with some really, really deep stuff in the spirit. God wants to do that in your life. We, some of us, we have to walk through that. But it's like you're so bothered by how you react to certain ways. I mean, in some of the sins that we struggle with, I know some of you because you can't be that different than me. But you get tired of it. Like you get tired of the same old things over and over and you make you these commitments to yourself. But the difference when you've accepted Christ is that your sin is disturbing to you. It bothers you because it conflicts with what God is wanting to do within you. Last question. What comes after being saved? 
And this is what a lot of people think. Okay, so what comes after being saved? Get baptized and then go live my best life now. No, that's, that's not it. The, the baptism part is not the conclusion. It's the initiation. Like it's the beginning step into this new life. So you follow through in obedience with baptism. And then you seek through brothers and sisters that you're not always going to agree with on everything. To be discipled and to learn and to grow and to fight these hard battles that we have to fight every single day. And I prayed this prayer last week in in a spot in Kentucky that I used to pray all the time because of some conflicts that I've been going through uh, that are very personal uh, to me. But, and some other things that are going on, and, and this is my prayer. And this is the way that I said it. I don't care if I end up in the hospital, if I end up dead, I, I'm not going to stop following you. I'm not going to stop trusting you. Because everything I've ever tried on my own, I've screwed up. And the very second that I take my eyes off of Jesus... As a husband, as a dad, I know some of you are good people. I'm not. I'm, I'm just, I'm, that's not suffering from a low self-esteem. I'm just being honest. As a pastor, as a leader, as a professor, as a friend, whatever it may be, I would rather follow you and spend the rest of my life suffering than have one moment of temporary joy without you. That is how good he is. And that's how good this life is. And it is the only thing on some days that I feel that I have to hold on to. And I can promise you this at 41 years old. It's the only thing that keeps me together. And if I stray from this, fire me. Get rid of me. Because you will never be able to see a kingdom movement by someone like that. I didn't intend to say any of that. But I'd like to ask you guys to stand. And what we're going to do as we close out today is I'm going to ask uh, my dad and Elaine, if they will, uh, to come down and, and just stand on these ends right here. And I'm going to be in the front. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. But after that, if you need to respond to the gospel today, if, if you need to accept Jesus today, I can promise you that the first step out is the most difficult. But one of the three of us would love to pray with you. One of us would love to see you make this. Don't, don't get in your car and wonder. The consequences are real. They're very real. And our desire is to see you in the best possible place you can be in a relationship with Jesus and guide you and love you after that. It may be that like my week, you've just had a hard, hard time. And you need to use this altar. These, these song, I just have to mention these songs, Tyler. These two last worship songs are two of the best songs we ever, we ever do. 
But if you need to use this, this altar this morning to just lift up Jesus because of the disgust of your own sin or something that's going on in your life, we just want to invite you to do that. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask God that if you are dealing with someone and today is the day of salvation for a person that is in here right now, God, that you make that known to them. You, you Father, we, we, you're speaking to them right now. And if someone needs to walk out, Father, because that's a decision they need to make today, Father, we pray that they are obedient in that. And God, I just ask for those that may be struggling, for those who are in a place of great depression, fear, uh, worry about the future, having a struggle with one of their kids, having a struggle in their marriage. Father, I just pray that the Spirit pours out on us today, Father, because we need you so greatly. We ask these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit Believer'sChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.